I'd like to think I haven't been too hard on my coaches. Um, I've always sort of done what I've what I've said, what I've been told, and I've always had a you know pretty solid work ethic and, and manners and all that sort of stuff from a pretty young age. I feel like my parents really instilled that in me. But yeah, there was there was some fiery ones early days in Adelaide, and uh, and probably my dad was the most fiery one to be honest. <laughs> of, uh, everyone that's been involved, but yeah, you know my dad he. He was very passionate, uh, wore his heart on his sleeve, and I owe really the world to my parents. I wouldn't be in this position if I, if, you know, if it wasn't for them. Hey, folks! Before we start today's episode, a big shout out to our two sponsors, Rackets and Strings, and also Southern Slugs. Rackets and Strings are South Australia's biggest tennis store. They've got two stores at Mile End and a brand new one that's just opened down at Summerton Park. That's Unit 2, 11 Oaklands Road. So head on down there. They've got lots of great tennis gear for sale. And also a shout out to Southern Slugs, Pete Oldfield and the gang there. They've got a wonderful event happening up there in uh, Phuket in Thailand in December. That's a five-day event. There's the over 35s. That's the men, the slugs and the open age women's, which is the dingoes. So get involved in that. Go to the Southern Slugs Facebook page to find out more details, but should be a lot of fun. Lukey Savile, welcome to Sports Legends with Devo for the first time. Great to have you on, mate. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Very excited. Now, obviously, uh, the French Open's just started only, you know, only yesterday, actually. I think we had Kokonakis playing last night and he had a great win over Evans, uh, number 20 in the world. So how do you see Kokonakis and some of the Aussies going over there in the French? Uh, yeah, it was very exciting. I tuned into uh, a bunch of the matches last night and and Thanasi with a fantastic straight sets uh, victory over uh, Dan Evans. That was, yeah, quite an upset. So Thanasi's proved that he can play at that level and he's made the third round once before at the French Open a few years back. And uh, yeah, very much looking forward to more of the matches tonight. Alex Demonar, our top-ranked Aussie, is first on. Um, so that'll be at 7 p.m. tonight. Looking forward to that one. Uh, Storm Sanders also came through qualies and won last night her first round. So it's obviously a little uh, disappointing that I'm here in Melbourne during the French Open, during one of the Grand Slams, but uh, it just sort of fuels the fire for next year um, where hopefully I can uh, compete at the French again. Yeah, for the people that are listening or watching, Luke, how's it all work? And you know, are you close to, to getting a spot in the dubs or the singles for the French? Yeah, it wasn't too far off. Uh, the doubles ranking currently sitting at about about 85. So um, you need to be combined inside 150. So that's how the doubles works. And yeah, as far as the singles, you need to be inside about 230 uh, these days to get in qualies. I'm around 415 at the moment. So still relatively early in my singles comeback. Um, I've been out of the singles game for a few years now and uh, really enjoying sort of the the second wave of my career, if you like. Very motivated to continue uh, the singles uh, journey. It's just hopefully I can continue to rise um, ahead of the grass court season in a couple of weeks. And you've been pretty busy in, in recent times. Tell us about 2023, how it's all going and and yeah, what's been happening the last couple of months because you've been all over the world. <laughs> I have, yeah. I've been traveling a fair bit this year so far. Obviously, I played the Australian summer to begin the year and yeah, went reasonably well. Alex Bolt, another another proud South Aussie uh, from Murray Bridge. Uh, we teamed up in the doubles at the Aussie Open uh, and made third round. We knocked off, uh, it was the number four seeds, the Croats, um, Mektik and Pavic. So that was a, another great experience for us and a really strong start to the year for me. From there, I went uh, over to the States where I played a couple of events and on to Mexico for a month. So that was uh, that was rather interesting. And then straight into South Korea. So 
Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely notching up the the frequent flyer points. That's for sure, the miles. But uh, yeah, very much enjoying it still. Uh, the travels, definitely a bit of a grind. But once I'm there, um, yeah, really loving uh, the competitive aspect of tennis and uh, and very motivated to head over to the UK where I've had great memories. The grass court is definitely my favourite surface um, coming from the Riverland in South Australia, of course. And uh, we've got a lot of grass courts there and I definitely feel uh, very much at home uh, on the grass. And and talk about the rest of 2023. Is there a possibility that you can play doubles over there at Wimbledon or? Yeah, that's the plan at the moment. Uh, I'm teaming up with Alex Bublik. So he's around 50 in the world. Uh, and I'm 85. So as I mentioned, yeah, if you're inside 150, that combined ranking, uh, you'll be in. So yeah, it's looking like we'll get a game. Very excited for that. I'm playing a bunch of challenges on grass leading up to Wimbledon. So I feel like it's a really nice mix of singles and doubles. Uh, I feel yeah, very comfortable on the grass, as I just mentioned. And anytime you can play Grand Slams, obviously Wimbledon as well. It's just so prestigious. Um, you know, the traditions there are incredible. And um, had you know such amazing memories of Wimbledon as well, uh, winning junior Wimbledon there and qualifying three times in the seniors. So um, absolutely love it in the UK at that time of the year. Uh, yeah, really hoping that Alex and I have never played with one another before. Hopefully we can combine well, which I'm sure we will. Um, he's quite a flary player and I feel like I'm more of a solid guy and hopefully we can sort of build that chemistry in that sense. So looking forward to sort of the couple of months uh, coming up for me. And let's go back to the junior days because you mentioned before you grew up in the Riverland. Talk us through those early days, Luke, and you know who sort of gave you that influence to pick up a racket and, and what age you were and, and how you sort of first got into it. Yeah, tell us more. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely uh, quite a journey. I am one of two other siblings. Uh, I've got an older brother and sister and, um, yeah, five and seven years older. So they really started playing. And basically uh, with my parents, my father, um, Mick, and uh, mother Judy, and they were sort of playing doubles. We had a court in our backyard. And I remember sort of uh, jumping on the trampoline and, and watching them play doubles. And as soon as I could sort of sub in, um, it might have been sort of four or five, I think. And um, I was in there. I think I uh, I took my mum out and uh, she retired from there. So, yeah, my dad, he's, uh, he's an engineer still going now. And so he built a hitting wall on our tennis court as well in our first house, my childhood house. And I was uh, basically, as soon as I could walk, I was hitting balls up and down the wall. And um, I really feel like the hitting ball is very underrated these days. It's a great way to build uh, sort of the hand-eye coordination for for young kids, young boys and girls. So that's kind of how I started. And in the Riverland especially, there's such a strong tradition of, of tennis as well. All the small towns in the region um, have their clubs. And we play juniors, Saturday morning juniors against one another and Saturday afternoon seniors. And Basically, I was playing juniors and seniors um, most Saturdays and um, down uh, the Cobby Club, Cobb Dogla, very small town there on the Murray River. And yeah, that's really how my journey sort of started from the age of sort of seven, eight, nine. Uh, we were starting to make trips up to Adelaide. It's uh, two and a half hours one way, so five hours uh, return. And uh, yeah, my parents are sort of taking in turns of taking me up to Adelaide sort of two, sometimes three times a week um, oh, around wow. that sort of eight, nine um, years of age mark and I think it got to it got to one day when my dad was uh we're almost home and uh he might have got a, a speeding ticket or something and he basically just said yeah uh Luke um you and your mum have to go up to Adelaide and and sort of uh yeah sort of continue the journey from there because it was it was very tough on me who was obviously you know young and still in school but very tough on my parents as well it was 
long days and just not very sustainable. So we made the decision, the sacrifice to move to the city, move to Adelaide. And um, and yeah, we were there from 10 to 16. Um, I went to primary school and secondary school there at Prince Alfred College. Had a fantastic time in Adelaide for those six years. And then from there, moved to Canberra, the AIS, Australian Institute of Sport, uh, for three years till I was 19. And then uh, and then been in Melbourne ever since. So that's uh, that's a little bit about my journey. And what was it like having older siblings as well? Uh, pretty tough, you know, in the backyard. I can imagine playing some uh, pretty competitive games of cricket, basketball, you know, tennis, that sort of thing. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like I mentioned, that five and seven years older. So there was definitely a point. Not there wasn't so much of a rivalry with my sister Katie, but probably more my brother Troy. Uh, yeah, he was obviously beating me up until a point and uh yeah I, I haven't thought about it too much but i remember being a little bit frustrated i couldn't get over the top of him for a while but <laughs> yeah i got to an age where you know it might have been sort of 12 and he might have been 19 but to be fair i was playing full time and had you know big aspirations and and troy and katie both very uh very equipped very good uh tennis players for our region but obviously didn't have the opportunities i did so it got to a point where i started to knock my brother off and that's probably when he stopped playing to be honest <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny um, like I, I've got a younger brother as well and I remember playing against him a few years ago and he absolutely spat the dummy when I beat him and didn't talk to me for about three or four hours so I get that that sibling rivalry mate <laughs> absolutely it's very, very strong very real <laughs> oh that's gold and uh, you know growing up as well who, who, who coached you Luke and, and who's your coach nowadays yeah, I've had a bunch of coaches through the journey, you know, back in the early days in the Riverland, uh, Mike Horsman, um, a, a shout out to him. He did a lot of work with me um, in my very young age, very junior years. And then when I went to Adelaide, Mark McMahon, Kylie Moulds, uh, Graham Neville, Broderick Dyke. So all through those six years. And then, um, yeah, yeah, like I said, I probably had, um, you know, double digits of, uh, of coaches throughout the journey and all played a very strong part and unique part in um, in my career, in my journey, in my development as a player So and, and a person as well. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, had a lot of coaches through there. And then currently I'm working with a very experienced coach by the name of John Tricky here in Melbourne. Uh, he's probably mid-60s and he's been, uh, you know, sort of around the game for probably 45, 50 years even. He played himself and he worked in Germany for quite a while. He was based in uh, in Stuttgart, I think he was saying, and uh, and also working with a trainer here in Melbourne by the name of Mark McGrath. And we do a cross-section of work and we sort of really look for the transfer from the off-court um, training in, in the gym onto the court. So we do a lot of work with that. And we've been working for at least eight years. So he's been a real constant for me. And I think it's great to have those guys um, or girls in your corner, uh, in your camp that are constants because, you know, you've built that trust and um, that's obviously very important to have those people on your team. And then uh, John's kind of a little bit new, probably the last couple of years, but his experience and his knowledge have been fantastic for me. And I've heard some interesting stories about Mark Woodford's dad, Ray, a, a bit of a fiery character in terms of a coach. Have you had some interesting coaches as well that get a bit fired up at you, Luke, or have they been pretty laid back? Yeah, I've had a few. I've had a few. I, I'd like to think uh, I haven't been too hard on my coaches. Um, I've always sort of done what I've what I've said, what I've been told, uh, and I've always had a you know pretty solid work ethic and um, and manners and all that sort of stuff from a pretty young age. I feel like my parents really instilled that in me. But 
Yeah, there was there was some fiery ones early days in Adelaide, and uh, and probably my dad was the most fiery one to be honest. <laughs> out of everyone that's been involved, but yeah, you know, my dad he he was very passionate, uh, wore his heart on his sleeve, and I owe really the world to my parents. I wouldn't be in this position if I if, you know if it wasn't for them. They really sacrificed a lot for me to be here. So without them, um, you know, I owe them the world really. Now, I want to ask you about the Australian Open. You made it through to the final with Max Purcell. That must have been a pretty amazing experience to play in an Aussie Grand Slam with a fellow Aussie in the final. Yeah, that was that was crazy, to be honest. That was an absolute whirlwind. Uh, very, I was going to say unexpected, but, um, well, it was very unexpected, but we showed very strong form leading up to that for about a year. We were playing very well on the Challenger Tour and we were winning so many challenges. I think we set the record at the time for seven or eight Challenger titles in a year in 2019. So, uh, yeah, we just hadn't had that opportunity at the top level, um, at tour level, at Grand Slams to really show what we're made of. And we got a wild card that year in 2020. And yeah, really just, um, you know, we got through our first round. We took out maybe the six or seven seeds, uh, Roger and Stakao second round. And and really from there, the draw opened up a little bit. And, you know, just match by match, the belief grew. And uh, yeah, it, it's very funny, tennis in general, but um, specifically doubles, there's so much momentum involved and we felt like we gained the momentum in that tournament and really ran with it. And yeah, we had a, you know, a pretty tough one in the final. Those guys play well. And, um, you know, Ram Salisbury to this day, you know, three and a half years later, um, are sort of the number one pairing in the world and a very strong team to deal with. But that, uh, yeah, that was, you know, a real eye opener that we have the level Max and I, and, um, yeah, we've stopped playing now. We've gone our separate ways. Maxie's um, doing great things on the singles on the thing, singles tour, and I'm trying to join him as well. But uh, yeah, that was that was probably one of my bigger achievements. And you know, to do it here in Melbourne, where I live, and home Grand Slam, that was uh, that was pretty awesome. From memory as well, though, that might have been the only time I think when there was no crowd. So wasn't it in 2020? Was I correct? Because the COVID situation. No, so that was a normal year. Uh, it was yeah, 2021 where it was pretty, it was pretty quiet. Uh, yeah, sort of the COVID started to swell around. Yeah, probably about a month after the Aussie Open, so early You're March, right. and that's when um, that's when both tours sort of shut down for about six months during that 2020 year. That's right. Yeah, you got in just before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. And and last year it would have been unbelievable as well, getting to make your Davis Cup debut. Tell us about that experience, Luke, and, and when you found out you'd be, you know, making your debut for your great country. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. Team events in tennis is such an individual sport. So whenever you can represent something bigger than yourself in a team and then especially your country is absolutely incredible. And I hold that very high up um, in achievements and things to do in tennis. So, uh, you know, I, I felt like I'd been pressing. I'd been uh, pressing on the door for probably a year or two since uh, Max and I made that final at the Aussie. I feel like we were looking out for a doubles pair uh, in Davis Cup. And I think finally, when I got the call up from Leighton and he said I was going to, I was going to debut in March in 2022 last year. And I think he called me, yeah, sort of early February. It, uh, yeah, it, it was very surreal, very surreal. It didn't feel real at all. I was in India, in Pune at the time. So Doing it, uh, you know, it was doing it a little bit tough there, but uh, yeah, got that got that call, and that was amazing news. And we didn't play our best match, Johnny Pears and I, um, because a, f- a couple months earlier, 
we played very well in the ATP Cup in January. We'd had a few good wins and sort of a, a similar environment playing for your country, playing for Australia, a lot of buzz, a lot of atmosphere in those matches. So didn't play our best, but unbelievable experience to get 113, 113th player, Australian player to represent Davis Cup. Absolutely incredible achievement for me. And uh, yeah, I sort of wear my wear my Davis Cup clothing around. Got my Olympic shorts on right now, so um, <laughs> I, I bring, bring it with me everywhere. And um, yeah, I hold those achievements very high for sure. Yeah, I was about to ask you about that. You're representing Australia at the Olympics as well. That must have been pretty amazing, Buzz. Yeah, it was. It was. It was amazing uh, in 2021. Even though it was the 2020 Olympics and a real strange Olympics. It's only been my first one. So I don't know how to compare to, um, you know, the others Rio in, in 2016, but yeah, sort of no crowds, a very strict bubble there in, uh, in Japan. And, uh, we weren't able to go to other sports. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of restrictions still with the COVID at that time. So that was a little unfortunate, but still we, um, you know, we went to the opening ceremony, we, we marched with them and, um, just to be part of the Australian village as well, you know, 450, athletes in that uh in our building um for australia so yeah really really amazing memories of of that week you know when some of the swimmers or any of the athletes won a medal i remember we would get worded up on when they were coming back and we would build a sort of a, a guard of honor out, out the front and we would welcome them back and, and sort of cheer and just sort of that camaraderie that you have for your country and your team was uh, yeah i've never been part of something like that and then especially the swimmers, we went so well in that Olympics in the swimming category. And we had a big TV set up outside and um, at night we were, you know, getting around the finals. And um, that was just, that was just really cool because you didn't really know the, didn't know the guys or girls, but um, you really felt like you, you did. And yeah, we were really rallying around each other. And that's, um, I guess that's the Olympic spirit end of the day. It's um, pretty incredible. And was there anyone there from whether it be Australia or other countries that left you starstruck, Luke? And it's like, oh, wow, got to get a selfie with this athlete or something like that. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Paddy Mills floating around. That that was very cool for me. And I think those boys took home bronze from memory. But um, yeah, the, the basketball guys, they were very funny. Yeah, there was sort of um, tables and chairs set up out, outside the, the village there, our sort of housing estate. And yeah, I remember sort of bantering with them most mornings. We're having coffee. We had our own barista um, from Australia out there, so making some nice coffees and and just sort of just having breakfast outside with them. And yeah, I think it was it was Aaron Baines. He was uh, he was getting drug tested one morning, and I saw him walk out. It might have been seven thirty. I had an early early practice session or something, and he was walking out with a drug tester in his boxes. So he didn't. Uh, he, he got, he got he got woken up nice and early, but he didn't he didn't bother to put sort of any clothes on. So he's walking off to uh to sort of the, the doping doping area. I kind of thought to my there was no other sort of basketballers there at that time. So I was thinking to myself, oh, that's that's pretty funny. But it was only it was only me who sort of saw it. So I was just waiting there, and and sure enough, um, some of the basketballers started to greet, and it's probably about an hour later, and I heard them sort of talking and and laughing and stuff. And I think they got worded up that. Um, Baines was walking back um, sort of any minute and sure enough he, he started walking back same thing in his boxes just a just a mask in his boxes and he got <laughs> greeted with a few sort of cheers and laughter and so that was that was one of the funnier that was one of the funnier moments for sure. And I got told as well back at the Atlanta Olympics they had about nine McDonald's was that the same kind of thing in Tokyo as well? <laughs> Oh, I think that's yeah, that's changed a little bit. There was there was no yeah, no Maccas there, but 
probably three three sort of food halls, dining halls, one enormous one. I've never seen something uh, yeah so big in my life, and yeah, just sort of seeing all the other all the other villages as well from all the other countries, all the flags set up, and it was uh, it was it was very cool to be to be part of that for sure. And let's talk about your lovely wife, Daria, formerly Daria Gavrilova, now Savile. Where'd you guys first meet? And, and tell us about that experience. Uh, we first met uh, in the under-16s Junior Davis and Fed Cups in San Luis Potosi in Mexico. And uh, yeah, it was sort of one of those things. I think we were both sort of 15 and 16. And we might have said hi. And that was about the extent of our exchange at that point. And um, yeah, sort of things sort of started to escalate a bit from there and uh yeah we we met up at the following australian open a few months later and um sort of yeah started talking but yeah you know sort of early days in juniors and and whatnot it's it's obviously not too serious yeah you know i'm from australia she's she was still in russia at that time and we were playing some of the same events but we weren't seeing each other really at all and it probably got a lot more serious when we we're about 19 and 20 and she moved out to Australia. She got her citizenship and she got her visa and started playing for Australia. And yeah, Nicole Pratt, who's currently um, still involved in Dash's tennis um, quite a bit, she really um, sort of, I guess, helped that process of getting Dasha to play for Australia and get that support. And yeah, and then we sort of moved in together here in Melbourne and sort of been living together for about 10 years now. Got married um, two years ago. So it's uh yeah it's been it's been quite a journey but it's been great having sort of your partner in the same profession as you also in tennis and we both know the ins and outs and um you know sort of the hardships and we can you know bounce ideas off one another and when we don't see each other for you know quite quite a long period of time um you know we're kind of used to it because we've been doing it for you know almost 15 years now so that's um yeah it's all it's all part of it but um yeah no nah, it's uh it's going pretty strong at the moment. And who wins the the games between you two? Do you have to give her a bit of a handicap, or you you try to be nice to her? How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> we would hit up and down the middle. We'd warm up, and then that's probably about it. We would definitely not get to the points points part, <laughs> the competitive part, because they'd just get uh, get too fiery. But uh, yeah, she would. Uh, let's just say she'd she'd beat me in a forehand cross rally cross-court rally but uh yeah if we if we open things up from there she might struggle a little bit but yeah her forehand is definitely uh world class at you know i would say maybe top five forehands in the world yeah she's currently here training and um, rehabbing an acl injury that she did last october so her second acl so uh yeah she's not too far off and she's um, planning on playing wimbledon before we let you go luke as well always like hearing the the stories about your fellow players that you play with whether it be Aussies or some overseas guys but who are the the funny players on the circuit and why yeah I mean if we can stick with stick with Aussies you know our fellow South Australian Thanasi Kokonakis he's quite a character he's um he's always great to sort of hang around with and banter with and um yeah he's just he just loves the center of attention he loves the spotlight the big fella and um (laughs) Yeah, um, if you just don't talk and just let him talk all day, he could be there for for, for hours. <laughs> but uh, his and and his coach as well, Todd Langman. Um, he's he's a really good dude as well. And yeah, Gail Monfils. He's um yeah he's always a funny guy as well and a real genuine nice guy. Um, I hadn't seen him for quite a few years. Um, obviously he was injured and um, him and Alina uh, just had a baby as well. And I saw him recently and. 
it just, um, you know, we sort of caught up and um, yeah, real, real sort of genuine guy. But in terms of a lot of the other Aussies were, you know, we're not too loud, we're not too exuberant, but um, whenever we get together on tour, there is great banter. And I think we've just built that for many years because we have to, I guess we have to sort of stick together. We're a long way away from the States and Europe and we've got to do long stints. And I think if you just sort of hang, you know, by yourself in your hotel room and, and, and whatnot, it's, um, it can be quite lonely and, you know, it can, the sort of the days and weeks can sort of drag along a bit. So yeah, the bench is very strong amongst a lot of the Aussies and we all get along very well. So I think that's, um, that's very pleasing to know that all the Aussies have got your back. It's, it's sort of great when you get out on tour with them. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Sports Legends with Bevo today. Luke, thanks so much for your time, mate, and all the very best for the rest of 2023 for yourself and, and also for Daria as well. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate having me on. That was, uh, that was good fun. Thank you.